0: You're listening to Enchanted, a podcast on the history of magic, sorcery, and witchcraft. I'm Corinne Wieben. Confronted with the possibility of a vampire in Sussex, the fictional detective Sherlock Holmes declares to his partner, John Watson, this agency stands flat-footed upon the ground, and there it must remain. The world is big enough for us. No ghost need apply. Several of the adventures of Sherlock Holmes dance around the occult, including the adventure of the Sussex Vampire, which chronicles the drama of the Ferguson family and its allegedly vampiric mistress, and, more famously, the Hound of the Baskervilles, ...featuring a glowing hellhound that terrorizes the people of Dartmoor. In these stories, the supernatural mystery turns out to have a perfectly rational explanation... ...usually involving greed, jealousy, and a surprising number of poisoned darts. If nothing else, Sherlock Holmes is a master of deductive reasoning. Invented by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle in the late 19th century... Holmes is a man anchored in reason and logic, a believer in the natural order of things, even when the rational explanation seems just as unbelievable. But, as Holmes puts it in the 1890 novel The Sign of the Four, when you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. Despite Holmes' dedication to the rational and his rejection of supernatural explanations, His creator became one of the heroes of the spiritualist movement of the late 19th century. The movement that brought us the modern image of the seance, the medium, and the psychic had surprisingly simple roots. But as spiritualism and its endless search for tangible evidence of life after death swept nations reeling from the ravages of World War I and the 1918 flu epidemic, Sir Arthur became a champion of the cause, even at the cost of his own reputation. So how did the author of the greatest literary rationalist of all time become the face of spiritualism, a movement that was already being debunked by skeptics? Today, we explore the origins of spiritualism and the life and occult studies of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. The goal of spiritualism is relatively straightforward. To communicate with the world of the spirits, and in so doing, to provide tangible evidence of life after death. The modern spiritualist movement was born in a relatively humble setting, a house in the village of Hydesville in Wayne County, New York, occupied by the Fox family. In 1848, the three Fox daughters, Leah, Margareta, and Kate, began to share evidence that their house was haunted, saying that they frequently heard rapping on the walls at night. The girls began to communicate with the presumed ghost through clapping or snapping their fingers in response. Eventually, they said that the rapping came from the spirit of a trapper who had been murdered in the house. After the discovery of a skeleton in the basement, the house and the Fox sisters became an overnight sensation. The girls soon branched out, moving from clapping to automatic writing, a form of communication where subjects enter a trance and allow the spirits to move their hands as they unconsciously draw or write. They also claimed to speak on behalf of the spirit world through voice communication, allowing spirits to speak to the living through them. A decade later, the spiritualist movement had gathered over two million supporters. Others had begun to imitate the Fox Girls' methods, calling themselves mediums, intermediaries between the worlds of the living and the dead. And like the Fox Girls, they began to charge money for attending their communication sessions or seances. They began to experiment with new techniques. Bells, drums, and other musical instruments would spontaneously sound, Cold breezes would wash over the faces of participants, and tables and other furniture would levitate, move, and even fly around the room. It makes sense that spiritualism originated and took hold in the United States, especially in the western portion of New York State. This region was rife with religious fervor in the mid-19th century, including groups who wanted to go beyond promises of eternal life to discover concrete evidence of life after death. By 1909, one could consult over 400 officially licensed mentalists, mesmerists, or mediums scattered along the eastern seaboard. By 1919, there were over 6,000 to choose from among licensed practitioners alone to say nothing of the many unlicensed mediums and psychics working on the streets. By early 1923, Nearly 14 million Americans reported that they, occasionally or frequently, engaged in occult practices. Counting himself among the true believers was Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. While most closely associated with the Sherlock Holmes mysteries... Nearly a third of Doyle's publications focus on some aspect of spiritualism, and he eventually came to call spiritualism's tireless search for evidence of life after death the most important thing in the world. In addition to being a writer, Doyle was also a physician and a firm agnostic. Coming from a long line of devout Catholics, Doyle refused his family's help in founding his medical practice— since he felt it would be hypocritical to rely on his family's church connections. In looking for answers to his own existential questions, his interest in the occult and psychic phenomena appears to have begun in or around 1881, when he began to attend public lectures and seances, like the ones the Fox Girls made a living hosting. But it would be several years before he was comfortable addressing his beliefs in a public setting. In 1887, Doyle published a letter describing a séance he'd witnessed in Light, the Journal of the London Spiritualistic Alliance. In this letter, he stated,
1: The subject of psychical research is one upon which I have thought more and been slower to form my opinion about than upon any other subject whatever. I have not been hasty in forming my opinion."
0: In that same year, he joined the Freemasons at Phoenix Lodge Number 257 in Southsea. Citing differences of opinion, he resigned just a couple of years later, rejoined in 1902, and resigned again in 1911. By the 1890s, Doyle was beginning to emerge as one of Britain's premier advocates of spiritualism and the occult, and in 1893, he joined the Society for Psychical Research— an organization featuring prominent members of London society, including future Prime Minister Arthur Balfour and other members of Parliament, renowned scientists like William Crookes and Oliver Lodge, and a handful of celebrated philosophers and naturalists. The following year, Doyle joined Dr. Sidney Scott and Frank Podmore to investigate the Devonshire House of Colonel Elmore who claimed that his wife and daughter had heard the dragging of chains across the floor accompanied by moaning, that there were portions of the house the family dog refused to set foot in, and that most of his staff had left because of the alleged haunting. The three investigators spent several evenings in the house, and according to their report, they were startled by a fearsome uproar. When the body of a child was later recovered in the garden of the home, "'Sir Arthur was convinced he and his colleagues "'had witnessed the true manifestation of the child's spirit.' Ever. Doyle, alongside the rest of Europe, would have to reckon with his own ghosts. The Great War, later known as World War I, had descended on Europe. The assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand in Sarajevo set in motion a cascade of diplomatic alliances and mutual defense pacts and exacerbated political and military tensions between western nation-states. Soon, this four-year war would see the mobilization of over 70 million military personnel and result in over 20 million combatant and civilian deaths. By 1917, the war to end all wars had already touched the Doyle family. This may seem like an unusual moment for Sir Arthur to give his first public talk on spiritualism, but in fact, his mind must have been narrowly focused on questions of life and death. His beloved son, Kingsley, had left his medical studies to join the war effort and fought in the horrific Battle of the Somme in 1916, one of the deadliest battles in human history. It resulted in over one million casualties in the span of just four months. Kingsley was among the wounded. Soon after, the world was facing a new challenge. A deadly strain of influenza was rapidly spreading, and millions were dying of pneumonia and other complications. While most infectious diseases tend to claim the lives of the very young and the very old, this deadly flu was ravaging the young and healthy. Having narrowly avoided death in combat... Kingsley died of pneumonia at the height of the 1918 pandemic. He was quickly followed by Sir Arthur's brother, his two brothers-in-law, and his two nephews. Immediately following Kingsley's death, Doyle threw himself into his work. He began a series of tours to major cities in Britain promoting spiritualism, and published three works on the spiritualist movement, The New Revelation, Life After Death, and the vital message. On September 7, 1919, Sir Arthur and his wife joined medium Evan Powell for a private seance in Portsmouth, England, during which Powell purportedly channeled Kingsley's spirit to speak. On what he called the new revelation of spiritualism, Doyle declared
1: God has placed me in a very special position for conveying it to that world which needs it so badly.
0: In 1920, the Strand Magazine commissioned Doyle to write a story on fairies for their Christmas issue. In his article, he published a series of remarkable photos, taken a few years earlier by two young cousins living in the Yorkshire village of Cottingley. The girls, Elsie Wright and Frances Griffiths, had photographed each other in idyllic settings, interacting with what appeared to be genuine fairies. An investigation by specialists at the Kodak Photography Company had concluded that the negatives were genuine and showed no signs of doctoring, though the company refused to certify the photos as evidence of the existence of fairies. Doyle insisted that two young ladies surely wouldn't lie about such a thing and use the photos in the hope that they might open readers, quote, material 20th century minds to the glamour and mystery of life a view he expanded on in his 1922 book, The Coming of the Fairies. In addition to publishing his article on the Cottingley Fairies and writing and publishing his books Spiritualism and Rationalism and The Wanderings of a Spiritualist, Doyle spent much of 1920 and the following year on tour in Australia, New Zealand, and the United States while in the U.S. he met magician and skeptic Harry Houdini. Despite their very different views on spiritualism, the two became friends, and in June of 1922, Doyle and his wife hosted a séance for Houdini and his wife at the Ambassador Hotel in Atlantic City. The purpose of the séance was to contact the spirit of Houdini's deceased mother, Cecilia. Lady Doyle had by this time proven herself to be a talented medium, especially in the use of automatic writing. Over the course of the evening, she produced some fifteen pages. Doyle later wrote,
1: It was a singular scene. My wife, with her hand flying wildly, beating the table while she scribbled at a furious rate, I sitting opposite and tearing sheet after sheet from the block as it was filled up and tossing each across to Houdini while he sat silent looking grimmer and paler every moment.
0: Lady Doyle's writings from the beyond concluded, God bless you, Sir Arthur, for what you are doing. Houdini remained skeptical. The messages, after all, were all in English, a language that Houdini's Jewish-Hungarian mother never learned. Despite the subsequent rift between the Doyles and the Houdinis, and the increasing rate of spiritualist practices being debunked by skeptics, Doyle pressed on into the 1920s. In 1925, he wrote,
1: We who believe in the psychic revelation, and who appreciate that a perception of these things is of the utmost importance, certainly have hurled ourselves against the obstinacy of our time. Possibly we have allowed some of our lives to be gnawed away in what for the moment seemed a vain and thankless quest. Only the future can show whether the sacrifice was worth it.
0: That same year, he was nominated Honorary President of the International Spiritualist Congress in Paris, and the following year he published a two-volume History of Spiritualism, which garnered both sympathetic reviews and controversy. The more steadfastly Doyle remained an advocate of spiritualism, the more damage it did to his reputation. Skeptic and debunker Harry Price was a man who, like Houdini, had made it his mission to expose spiritualism as fraudulent. After Doyle's death in 1930, Price said of him,
1: Setting aside for the moment his extraordinary and most lovable personal qualities, the chief qualification that he possessed for the role of investigator was his crusading zeal. Among all the notable persons attracted to spiritualism, He was perhaps the most uncritical. His extreme credulity, indeed, was the despair of his colleagues, all of whom, however, held him in the highest respect for his complete honesty. Poor, dear, lovable, credulous Doyle. He was a giant in stature, with the heart of a child.
0: In October of 1888, Margareta Fox shocked the spiritualist community by confessing that she and her sisters had spent the last several decades engaging in an elaborate deception. In front of an audience of roughly 2,000 people, she demonstrated how she and her sisters produced the famous rapping. She removed her shoes, stretched out her stockinged feet above a small pine platform, and proceeded to crack her toe joints several physicians in the audience were invited up to the stage to confirm that the sound the audience heard resonating through the theater was in fact the lady's toes she confessed that she and her sisters had employed this and several other tricks to produce the eerie sounds at their seances saying when we went to bed at night we used to tie an apple to a string and move the string up and down causing the apple to bump on the floor or we would drop the apple on the floor, making a strange noise every time it would rebound. Mother listened to this for a time. She would not understand it and did not suspect us as being capable of a trick because we were so young. Margareta had exposed the very foundation of spiritualism as fraudulent. In a signed letter published in the New York World on October 21st, 1888, Margareta Fox wrote, Spiritualism is a fraud and a deception. It is a branch of ledger domain, but it has to be closely studied to gain perfection. Outraged spiritualists everywhere refuted her confession. Among these was none other than Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who responded to Margareta's confession by saying, nothing that she could say in that regard would in the least change my opinion, nor would it that of anyone else who had become profoundly convinced that there is an occult influence connecting us with an invisible world. Why, given Margaretta Fox's explicit confession, would people like Sir Arthur continue to believe so fervently in spiritualism? The answer, perhaps, lies in the desire for comfort and meaning, especially after the death and destruction of the Great War and the 1918 flu. The devastation wrought on the world by war and disease at the dawn of the 20th century had left behind an existential void. As Harry Houdini put it, the times hungered for something. A war memorial had appeared in every town, and many people naturally sought some divine solace for their grief. The Doyles were no different, nor really were many of the skeptics. Houdini himself frequently admitted that he devoted so much time to debunking spiritualism because he wanted so badly to be proven wrong. He wanted to believe, as Doyle did, in Life After Death. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle died in 1930 at the age of 71. Shortly before his death, he wrote, The reader will judge that I have had many adventures. The greatest and most glorious of all awaits me now. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can subscribe to Enchanted wherever you listen. Rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts helps new listeners find us, so if you want to help spread the word, please leave a review and tell your friends about us. This episode was produced by me with original music by Purple Planet. You can find them at purple-planet.com. Special thanks to Lenny Scoville and Randy Wild for their voice talents. You can get in touch with us via email at EnchantedPodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Enchanted Podcast and on Twitter at Enchanted Pod. To learn more about the show or to become a supporter and help keep the magic going, please visit EnchantedPodcast.net. I'm Corinne Wieben. Thank you for listening and stay enchanted.